Uh, Ryan, Ryan, welcome. Come on up. Uh, Ryan's from Pennsylvania, and he's been studying in Rochester, New York. And for the last few years, he's been in the Middle East Asia serving the Lord. And so, Ryan, come and share what God's put on your heart. Welcome here. Thank you so much. Oh, sweet. I'm not entirely sure how Canada works, not going to lie. There seems to be new rules everywhere, so I'm still trying to figure it out. But uh, as I've learned the Canadians say, I'm from the States. Uh, We actually don't say that in America. We say like U.S. or stuff, so that was a little bit of a culture shock for me. But I'm from the States. Uh, I moved to Rochester, New York, which is like right south of Toronto, and I've been living there for the past four or so years. And uh, really, it's been a crazy time in my life, you know? I actually grew up in an athe- as an atheist in my family, and for a very long time, I kind of had my own way of doing things, whether it was, you know, work or school or whatever. However, I really was living for myself, you know? That's really, like, the way I thought I should live. That it just makes sense, right, to us? But, you know, long story short, I really met the love of God in high school. Uh, at the end, as I was going into university, uh, just through the unconditional love of another brother, who really poured out everything for me, and I came to accept Christ uh, going into university. And uh, through this, I was like, okay, I'm Christian. I'm saved. We got this. And I started doing my own thing. You know, I had school. I had work. I had uh, all this stuff going on. Uh, in fact, you know, I had the job I wanted at the time. I opened a cafe with one, of my, with one of my partners. I was going for the major I wanted, computing security. I even had the girlfriend I wanted at the time because, you know, that was so important to me. Uh, And I was even serving in the church, doing ministry, doing all these things. And I said, wow, like, I'm really pleasing God with my life. I'm really doing so many things that, you know, God must find so pleasing. However, I realized that this this wasn't the case. This just wasn't the case. In fact, you know, I think about it now. Even if I, at the time, would have said, God, I will be your missionary. I will go to this nation that I've decided on to be able to please you. This still is not pleasing to our God. Because our God desires that we live for His will, His vision. Even if I want to do the exact same thing God wants, but, uh, but I want to do it for me, this isn't the will of our God, right? So instead, I realized at this time, I was kind of living without uh, this little thing called vision. Vision. Uh, you know, uh, we can think of vision in many different ways, but uh, the ba- most basic way that we can think of vision is word of God, promise of God. You know, the Word of God is filled with many things. You know, promise, fulfillment, promise, fulfillment, promise, fulfillment. This goes on, like, so often. If we think about, uh, in Genesis, the promise that is given to Abraham is what? So many times over. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. Your descendants will be a blessing to all nations. Of course, this isn't just empty words. Our God never gives empty words, right? But He is a living God. And instead, He gave... Fulfillment of this through his son, Jesus. Amen. So I realized in college that as I was living this life, building my own empire, even thinking I was serving God, I was living completely without his vision. But by the grace of God, I was actually able to meet uh, other young missionaries like myself uh, who came and really shared about vision of God with me. Uh, I, don't, I didn't prepare any slides or anything, so it will have to be a little interactive, keep everyone a little engaged. So... Uh, if you could turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 24:14 with me. 
And as you're turning there, I just want to talk really briefly uh, about this thing called unreached people groups. I'm sure you might have heard of this before, but to put it shortly, these, these are people groups, not just you know, a nation, not just a country, you know, not just Turkey or Egypt or America or Canada. No, these are individual, individual groups of people with their own unique language, their own unique identity as a people. For example, even in Turkey, there are many like Iranian refugees, but the Iranian refugees in Turkey and then the Iranians in Iran are completely separate people groups. They have to be reached in a totally different way. They're so different from one another that if you reach one church is planted in one, it cannot reach the other. So our God has said so many times that he will bless all nations, bless all nations, all nations, all nations. We see this so often in the word, right? And as I met these young missionaries, they started sharing about these unreached people groups, people who have actually never heard the gospel, people who have never heard about the the gospel in their whole life. And I'm thinking, okay, there's like remote villages in the middle of nowhere. Of course, they haven't heard the gospel. I mean, we'll just go there. There's only a certain number of them. It's easy, right? But then I actually ended up in one of the biggest cities in the world. Uh, It reminds you of, you know, like Toronto or probably Ottawa. I haven't visited Ottawa much yet. We're doing that later. But um, it reminds you of a normal city, you know. They wear AirPods, use their iPhones, they dress in nice clothes, they eat, you know, McDonald's, Starbucks, all these things. They use the internet. They're young. They go to school. They do all the play video games, you know. Aside from the fact their language is like totally different, you'd have no idea. But as we met with them, as we sat down with them for tea, for, you know, food together, we just open our lives and start sharing the gospel with them. Just young people. Young people. And as we started sharing with them, we'd share very simply, very basically, you know, God has died for you. Jesus came down to earth, crucified on the cross for your sin. By his blood, you're set free. And the response is, I've never heard this. This is not what I was taught. In fact, in uh, the nation I was in, Middle East Asia, um, you know, for security, I, I can't really share the nation, but if you guys think it's kind of kind of the place where Paul did a lot of his work, and even where he was from, that puts it in perspective. Um, you know, one thing that they're taught in high school and believe is that Christians chose the Bible by putting a bunch of other Bibles on a table and shaking it, and the last one was like the one they picked. This is their idea of gospel and Christianity. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what he did for us. But God gave us this promise to all nations that they would be blessed. And it says in Matthew 24, 14, we can look to this now. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You know, as Christians, our hope is not in money. It's not in being comfortable. It's not in serving the church a lot. It's not in even having a big church. What is it? It is our, Christ, our Jesus returning. It is the return of our Jesus, whether it's in our lifetime or afterwards. You know, we desire for our Jesus to return. Of course, no one knows the day or the hour. Not even the sun does. But there's one thing Jesus does know, and it's this one condition he gives us. Before anything, before he can even begin to return, before he can even like think about it, what must happen? Very clearly, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all nations, to the whole world, to all of creation in some translations. All nations, tribes, and tongues must hear this gospel. All of them. All of them. But who, you know, who does this, you know? Whose work is this? Well, if we look to Matthew 28, uh, 18 to 20, we're all very familiar with it, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. 
Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. What a great opener, right? You know, Jesus is saying, I have all the power in heaven and earth. It all belongs to me. I can do absolutely anything. God has granted me this power. On heaven and on earth, I can change anything. And he follows it up very quickly with, go. You go. You know, Jesus has the power to save everyone right away. He could just snap his finger and it's done, you know? Oh, all the nations know who Jesus is. Or he could even make it so there's like at least one person in every group, at least. But no, he says, you go. You go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you until the end of the age. Amen. So all this authority that he gave, I mean, Jesus is kind of a funny guy. Like, he didn't really need to say that. He didn't need to enter with that. They're probably like, oh my gosh, Jesus is about to like fix everything. You know, he's getting, this is a big final moment. You know, this is like his last moment on earth before he's about to ascend. Last thing he said, his final will, you could say. And I'm sure they're thinking like, oh my gosh, Jesus is about to like fix everything. Like salvation is here. The world's going to be, he's got all the authority. Let's go. But you know, what does he say instead? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This gospel I told you to preach that must reach all nations in order for me to return. I'm, uh, I know the word in Turkish, uh, or in Middle East Asian language. It, it means, uh, it's görevlendirmek. It means to like take a responsibility or a work or a specific, um, yeah, like a, like a responsibility and to physically place it onto someone, like to load them, to give them a yoke with it. Right? I don't... What was that? Who? Huh? Oh, yeah. Um, to just, you know, commission, I guess, is the way to put it. Which is why we call it the Great Commission. Our God commissioned the disciples, commissioned us to go to make disciples. He took this responsibility, placed it upon our shoulders, placed the yuke upon our... Uh, the, oh my gosh, Turkish place this responsibility upon our shoulders. That way we could go. We could make disciples. God decided to partner with us. But if you look at the disciples, who were they? They weren't theologians. They weren't even pastors. They weren't anyone special. No, they were normal guys, fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, normal people. Even, even you know, they, they weren't even probably very literate at the time. You know, language were changing in that period, and there was all kinds of craziness going on with that kind of thing. So I'm sure it was even difficult for them to, to read and to speak and to, you know, share this word of God. But they were called. They were given this by our God. They accepted it, and they went. Amen. So like I said, I went to Middle East Asia. It's a nation that uh, actually, if you're familiar with much history, there was a great empire, starts with an O, a huge empire that took over all of the Middle East, parts of Europe, a huge chunk of China, all of North Africa for like the year 400 until the year of, you know, the end of the First World War. Because of, the, because of this, this whole area of the world actually was, you know, became Islamic, held by this stronghold. And in fact, this was the place, the birthing place of the early church. Antioch, Ephesus, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia Minor. In this very land, there has been no church movement. None. 
But when God came to me and put on my heart this vision, go therefore make disciples, that when all nations hear this, I may come. I said no. I was like, God, I ain't going. I ain't going. No way. No way about that, you know? But then God really broke my heart for these people. The way God's heart breaks is so deep, so painful. I mean, God has a heart. He's living. And it breaks so deeply for these people. And I received this, and I had to come only in repentance before God and say, God, I can only live for you. Jesus, I must follow after you with my whole life. You know, I'm a student. I haven't finished school yet. I had my work, but God asked me, like, are you ready to give this up, Ryan? Are you ready? For a while I said no, but eventually I said, Jesus, I must give it up and follow you. So I went to this nation for, actually I committed for a year, but ended up staying for a year and a half. And, you know, in this nation, there's so much darkness. There was no, like, church. There's no Christianity. It's actually, by Joshua Project, considered the most unreached nation in the world. With 0.001% Christian, not even evangelical. This is like Protestant, Orthodox, Catholic, all of them. 0.001%. And the rest is all Muslim. There's no other things in there that's like 99.99% Muslim. And they've never heard the gospel. With a population of 800, uh, 800 million, what do you even do? What do you do? We trust in our God. <laughs> Amen. You know, because for me, if you look at me, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't, wasn't trained. I, I didn't really even know my Bible. I was a very new Christian at the time, right? Very new Christian, so I didn't really know what was going on. But God gave us one command, and that was to go make disciples. He didn't say, go to, you know, go to seminary school. Go and do this training. These things are good. But then as a young person, he said, I, want, I desire you to go. Like Timothy. Like the 12. Like the 72 Jesus sent, just picked them up and sent them. So I went with my team and, you know, we would uh, go out evangelizing, not like street evangelism with signs and everything, but just meeting people, sitting down with them, talking with them, being their friend. And, you know, through this we were able to share life, get to know the people. It's actually very different. In America, you know, you go out street evangelism, you can get, you know, yelled at, cussed at, you know, people can kick you out of places. It's actually pretty terrifying sometimes. But then in these nations, if you go out and you evangelize to people, they invite you to their home to spend the night, to have tea, to eat, they feed you. It is wild. But as we shared our life with them, as we became like them, learned their language, ate their food, sang their songs, did their dances, which I can teach you afterwards if you want. Come find me. Really fun. Um, As we did these things with them and really became like them, we saw this nation change. You know, it would be, we'd meet up to 100 people every day like this. 50 to 100 people. In our small, you know, in our pairs, we went in twos. And in a month, maybe one person was interested in checking out churches like, you know, a tourist. to See what it looks like inside. There's some ancient churches there, you know, from the early church days, but other than that, they don't exist. See, really wanted, they wanted to see, you know, that one person. They're like, okay, amen, hallelujah, let's go. Because that was the biggest grace we could find. But then in my last, you know, three to four months, something crazy happened. I don't really know what it is, but all of a sudden, in a week, we might meet 10, 15, 20 people instead. Instead of 100 a day, we go to like 10, 15, 20 a week. 
And all of a sudden, a majority of them say, Ryan, I'm so hopeless. I cannot find truth in Islam anymore. I, I, I can't. Our economy is crashing. Our government is completely rigged and corrupt. I have no chance of going anywhere else. We can't escape from this place. They say it's a democracy, but all of a sudden, it's like we, we, all we're forced to do is like trust in Islam, trust in their education system, and, and live our lives, work and die. I have no hope. But you have hope in love, and it's not, obviously not in money or work because you don't have either of those. What is it? We'd share about Jesus. We'd share about the Bible. They'd say, I, I have to find more. They'd join us in church. They'd come you know, to our home churches. We plant house church. They'd come, they'd read the Bible with us. They'd come, they'd even try worship. You know, in Islam, they, don't, they cannot sing. Like, that's like not worship. That's like a big no. But they were like, this is the place where we find peace, where we find hope, where we find love. I have one friend in particular that I want to share about. Uh, his name is Brother M. You know, for security purposes, uh, I'll just keep his name to Brother M. And, you know, this guy, when I first met him, I had, like, no hope in loving him. He was originally Muslim, became atheist. So first, he can't believe in God because of the Muslim background. It's like identity. Secondly, he cannot believe in God because he's atheist, so it just doesn't, doesn't work there. And thirdly, he was also, like, a really strong engineer, you know, materialist. So he's like, I have to see to believe. I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's no hope for this kid. <laughs> What am I doing? But our God is really a romantic guy. If you remember from 1 Samuel 18, it says in the very first verse, and when, John met, uh, and when Jonathan met David, their souls were knit together. And this is the type of friendship our God desires for us to have with you know, the unreached people. Because then all of a sudden, in these last three months of my term, we were, our souls were knit together. We became best friends. We were so opposite of one another. I mean, everything we thought about and how we thought and how we acted was so different, but we were, became best friends somehow. And we, I continued to just faithfully read the word with him. He would corner me in with all his fancy questions, you know, Trinity and how is God also a person? How can God be a person? You know, all these things that we've heard you know, a thousand times. This was like our relationship for a while, and I'm like, what the heck is this, you know? But as, a faith, as we faithfully continue to serve him, pray for him, fast over him, it came down to my last like, couple weeks in, in the nation. I was getting ready to leave, actually. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, I really love this guy. I, I don't know what to do for him. I, I'm leaving. I can't stay here and meet with him. So I'm like trying to figure out, okay, there's long-terms here. How can I get them connected? There's church here. How can I get him get, you know, going back and forth, trying to figure it out? But then in one of our last church services, it was a united service, so all the home house churches came together. He came to me and he said, Ryan, I have to let you know something. You know, For a long time, uh, before I met you, I really wanted to commit suicide. I was deep in alcoholism, much like all the young people in this nation. You know, Actually, if you watch the news in that nation, it's like every day there's multiple people, multiple young people, just without hope. But that's the only solution they have. But he said, this is how I felt. And I I didn't know what to do. I was searching for something, but I could not find it because everything was like not concrete. Everything seemed to change. Everything was like all over the place. What do I do? But then he confessed, since I met you, 
since I met your church, since I met you and your friends, everything changed. I realized what true love really was. I realized that only through love can God be found. And I realized that only through the love of God is there truth, because it never changes. Because no matter what I did to you all, no matter how much I questioned you or how difficult I was, your love for me never changed. And he said, through this, I realized that I can only believe in Jesus. That there is no other possibility for my life. To say anything else would be a lie. I can only believe in Jesus. And of course, being me, you know, unequipped and like, un, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, uh, shoot, what do I do now? <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, this guy just said, I want to believe in Jesus. I'm like, let's, uh, let's pray together. <laughs> you know, church is about to start in like two minutes. So we prayed and he accepted Jesus. And, you know, I was really, I was like rejoicing so much. Like so much joy in my heart because in, in this nation, like Christianity is like to accept it as one of the locals is like treason against your entire heritage. You know, they believe martyrdom is both, you know, a religious and military and political thing. It's so tied together with their identity that to say, oh, I'm Christian says every single person in my family that has ever died, died in vain. Their bloodshed was completely falsified. That the thing they believed in and held to, completely irrelevant. Think about how hard that would be. It's crazy, right? That's to say my entire history of my entire family and nation is completely false. So in this nation, it's very difficult for them. And it's also the acceptance of my family will persecute me. They will kick me out. I will be disowned. That I will lose my job because they officially have to change their religion on any certificates or on their identity. This is the reality they face. So I was just happy. I was just joyful enough that, okay, he accepted Christ. Amen. I was so joyful. But then I actually got, uh, he called me the other day and he said, hey, Ryan, I just want to let you know, like, I've been reading the word. You know, I've been reading the word and... I came upon this part that I just showed you guys. It was Matthew 28. He said, I realize that the same salvation that I received is not just for me, but I have to actually go myself and share. You know, for us as missionaries, we don't actually share about, you know, doing missions with them because it's very security sensitive in that nation. Missionary work is like such a crazy concept for them. But on his own, through the revelation of God, he found in his heart, I must go. That I too must go. Both in the streets of his own nation, he's out preaching the gospel. He's sharing with his friends in school, but he also says, I must go to another nation. I must go to, you know, Morocco. I must go to Azerbaijan, to all these other nations to share this word that saved me. He's been a Christian for like a, for like a month now, and this is the revelation God has given him. This is the same revelation God is pouring out over the global church. Because it's not just America and Canada. It's not just, you know, these upstanding Christian nations that are sending out missionaries. But even our brothers and sisters from Iran, Afghanistan. Some of my closest and most beloved co-workers are from these nations. Former ISIS militants. Young people who have been persecuted. Young people who were fleeing from Taliban. People from, you know, Arab nations, from, you know, the Central Asian nations, from all over Asia, America, Oceania, 
coming to one place. Why? Because of this vision. It is this vision that God gave to my friend where he said, I must go. It is this vision God gave to me where I was able to say, I must go. It is this vision that God has poured out over his church from the time of Antioch to go to all nations and make disciples. It is the same vision that Abraham and Jesus, Paul, ran with. It is time the church must truly wake up. The church must wake up and come alive and see what is the only hope for our world. You know, I, I can't tell you if Corona is going to get better. I can't tell you if this pandemic thing is ever going to stop. We don't know. We said that how many times, and what happens? It just gets worse. And now we see like borders are closing. The, I, I didn't actually pick Middle East Asia as my first nation. I wanted to go to three others in my list, but they closed, closed. The last one we prayed and fasted. The borders opened. We bought our tickets and visas closed. Time is running out. For the, there's no churches in these nations. God is asking of us, big faith, big faith, big faith, to go and complete the task that he's given to us. To go to all nations, preach the name of Jesus, and see them come to faith. See them receive salvation, but then also see them be commissioned and go. Just like the early church. For this is the will of our God. This is the heart of our God for all nations. Not that he would save them, but that by our hands, feet, and faith, as we go in the name of our Messiah, with nothing else, with nothing else, but just with this faith that we would preach this gospel. I want to share one more word with you guys, and then we'll close. From Revelation 7, 9 to 10. Uh, I've really been reading Revelation a lot these days, and, you know, looking, you know, to what the end of history looks like, but God also gives a lot of glimpses of, you know, the glory that is to come. And from Revelation 7, 9, uh, uh, 7, 9 to 10, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to, the, to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. This doesn't just happen by passively waiting. You know, Jesus didn't say, wait for disciples. Wait for them to be asked to be baptized. Wait for them to desire to be teached all that I've commanded you. No, he says go. Even in our own communities, even in our schools, in our work, are we passive? Are we just waiting are we not taking the authority that Jesus has that when he is with us? Are we just sitting around? Or are we actively taking our faith, taking the same salvation that our God has given to us, and are we going to go make disciples of all nations? This is where the need is. This is where God's heart truly is at this time. This is where he's anointing young people. Because, you know, of course our communities need so much help, but right now the nations are closing. It's so hard to travel these days. It's difficult. It's crazy. For me to even get to Canada was like, oh my goodness, crazy. Let alone like Turkey, Israel, Palestine, Egypt, Uzbekistan, all these nations. Now is time for harvest. You know, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, we must pray earnestly. But then we also must realize that sometimes we are the answer to that prayer. I prayed so long for workers to be sent to the nations. 
And here I was, there I was. Like, oh, God, you funny. You called me. I am the guy. And he's really calling all people, all tribes and all tongues. So that we too may see the great multitude, that we may stand with these friends. We, I may see Brother M. I may see, you know, friends from other nations. Uh, my sister here, Jennifer, she went to the Arab nations. She too has so many friends that she desired to see come to Christ. Some who did. We desire to be with them. But how can they call upon in, in, uh, how can they call upon him who they do not believe? How can they believe if they have never heard? How can they hear if there is no one who preaches? And how can they preach if no one is sent? You know, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? This is the calling our God has given us as the church. So as the church of North America, the church of Canada, of America, even in Ottawa, Toronto, even in Vancouver, all these cities that have these church bodies, let's rise in faith. And let's go to all nations and just preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. The same thing that saved us. Amen. Let's pray together and I'll close. Lord Jesus, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given unto you. And you have given your church the responsibility, the task to take this gospel and take it to all nations, just as Paul with the Gentiles did, just as you with the children of Israel did, God. We too desire to give our lives as a holy and living sacrifice, not passively waiting behind, but being a part of the mission global movement, the global church, not thinking of ourselves, not thinking of our own church anymore, but thinking of the global church that you have desired, the great multitude that you have described. This is where our hearts desire to be. This is where we yearn to be, Lord Jesus. God, would you call us? If our hearts do not break for the nations, God, would you put sorrow and pain in our hearts, God, that we too would cry tears of pain for these nations, just as you do. Would we look unto the nations with compassion, with love? Would you help us, God? that we would not look to our own comfort or to ourselves, but we would only look towards your kingdom, Lord. God, I thank you for Eastgate Church. God, I see they have so much mission work, so much desire to see revival in all nations. God, would we all commit together as one body, as the global body, with our brothers and sisters from all nations to rise up and go, that for the gospel and his kingdom we will live. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. We look forward to your coming, God. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We love you, we bless you, and we pray all these things in the name of our Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much for having us. Amen.